0: This is the Grind It Podcast. We know just like grinding a handrail or across a cross coping can be challenging at times, so can life be. We share God's word and personal stories to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to tackle a deep, deep, deep topic or subject and. I'll get to that in just a second, but I just want to start off saying that chapter nine is probably, well, I'm calling it the pinnacle of the letter to the church at Rome because Paul has just absolutely been hammering on the Jews, trying to explain to them that they are not in a right relationship with God just because they're Jews. They're, they're, they don't have a... a, a good standing with god or in other words they're they're not a part of the kingdom they're not a part of the church they're they're not saved they're they're not delivered just by being a jew just by their ancestry uh he started off talking about how people have rejected god in chapter one and how they really don't have an excuse not to believe in god because he is everywhere and, and and we can see him in in the creation I mean he he spoke everything to existence in Genesis 1 and, and Paul says we don't have any excuse not to believe in God but people rejected God and, and Paul said God turned them over to a reprobate mind he, he allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do and he he begins to list this uh, just a, a list of sins that people, commit, people who have rejected God for whatever reason. And and now that God, God has turned them over to this reprobate mind and let them do whatever they want to do, he he, he just lists these sins that, that people commit. And in the very next breath in chapter 2, and you got to remember the Bible was not broken up into chapters. Man come along and, and put chapters and verses in, which is very convenient for us. But this didn't happen just a few hundred years ago. Um, and, and so the the letter to the church at Rome is it's just one long letter, it's not broken up into pieces. We did that. But in the very next breath, after what we call chapter one, Paul turns to the Jews there at the church, and and, and he he's he says, Look, before you start to condemn these people who have rejected God and and who are out there living in sin, before you judge them, you, you need to take a look at yourself because you too are in sin. Um, he says, you're just as guilty as they are. And then he goes on this, well, I'm just, I just call it a rant because he, he, he goes on this rant of how they have to put their faith in Jesus the Messiah that they've been looking for for hundreds of years, that the, Messiah, that the, uh, the prophets have been prophesying about, uh, the coming Messiah, that was Jesus. And, and, and the Bible makes it plain and clear. Peter even says in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost that this same Jesus whom you crucified, you Jews, you have rejected your Messiah. God has raised him up to life. Um, and and so it is clear that Jesus is the Messiah, and and but the Jews, many of the Jews thought that it was blasphemy to even pronounce the name of Jesus, and and so Paul is trying to get these Jews to understand that they have to put their faith in. The messiah jesus christ in order to have a right relationship with god they have to be washed in the blood of jesus the, the 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 passover lamb that was sacrificed on their behalf and on our behalf the gentiles as well and so he goes on this rant for the for the next seven to eight chapters and he is he telling the Jews that just because there's a covenant made between Abraham way back long ago, and 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 how you know just because they cut some skin off their their private parts and they have made this uh, covenant that was made between God and Abraham, just that because they've kept this covenant, hey, it's not going to cut it anymore, if you will, and just because God has given them the law. And just because they were God's chosen people, hey, that's, that's, that's not enough anymore because the Messiah has come, he has died on the cross, he has been put in the tomb for three days and he come out of that tomb victorious, alive over death and the grave. And therefore, whether it be Jew or whether it be Gentile, we all have to put our faith in Jesus the Messiah. And so he's gonna remind the Jews here in chapter 9 of this these facts again. And I, I'm gonna just admit right off the bat that this is a difficult chapter, it's a very deep chapter chapter, and I'm just gonna to try to explain it to the best of my abilities. But there's 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 a whole lot more people out there that are way smarter than I am that have written books just on chapter nine itself. Because of this one particular subject that Paul's going to cover. And that is the sovereignty of God. And, and, and look, I, you know, I've got a degree in Bible. Um, I've studied the Bible since I was in third grade. I know a lot about the Bible. But there's a lot that I don't know. I've had a relationship with God since I was 11 years old. And I don't even begin to understand God. And I don't even try to pretend that I understand God. But what I can do is take the Word of God, read it and study it, and relate what I know is being said in the Word of God. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast and these Bible studies is read the Word of God, study the Word of God in Greek and Hebrew, and take what I learned and share it with you. You may disagree with some of the stuff that I say. That's that's perfectly fine. And that, and that's why you know you email me or text me and, and we talk about it. And that's great. Uh, th- because that makes us both dive in deeper into the Word of God. It keeps us on our toes, and that's a good thing. Um, but in my, I don't want to say feeble attempt, but and I'm going to attempt to explain uh, chapter 9 to the best of my ability, and it's going to take at least two podcasts to get this done. And and so uh, I, uh, the first thing I want to share with you, uh, are some definitions of uh, the sovereignty of God. And, and to do that, I want to go to Wikipedia because Wikipedia uh, shares three different dictionaries uh, that give uh, the theological definitions of the sovereignty of God. And one that Wikipedia uses is the Beacon Dictionary of Theology. And it defines God's sovereignty like this it, there's a twofold concept of God's sovereignty. First, it may be seen as the divine right to rule totally. Second, it may be extended to include God's exercise of this right. As to the first aspect, there is no debate. Difference of opinion arises in respect to the second aspect, uh, which is the exercise of the right of God to uh, rule totally. Um, Easton's Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. So in other words, whatever, whatever is pleasing to God, that's what he's going to do. And since he's God, he can do it. That, that's basically what Easton's Bible Dictionary is saying about God's sovereignty. As his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as the teaching that all things come from God, or all things come from and depend upon God. It does not mean that everything which occurs in the world is God's will. Now, that, that's that's a very deep definition there. So, um, Wikipedia says according to these definitions. God's sovereignty in Christianity can be defined primarily as the right of God to exercise his ruling power over his creation. And secondarily, but not necessarily, as the exercise of this right. The way God exercises his ruling power is subject to differing views. And that's where, you know, people have debated... The sovereignty of God versus uh, versus free will of man, because it is it is obvious from Genesis chapter two, when God created man and placed man in the Garden of Eden, He gave man a free will, and He says, "Do not eat of that tree that is in the middle of the garden." That day forward, man had free will. Uh, and so how, how do we wrestle with this idea of God's sovereignty versus man's free will? And, and I had a great conversation tonight with a, a, a good friend of mine. And, uh, and, and I threw this on her uh, while, while I was eating. Uh, she, had, she had cooked some uh, delicious chicken and potatoes. And uh, I, I said, I, so I got this deep question for you. i'm studying for the podcast and i want to run it by you and i threw that on her and she's like oh well wow and so she you know we had a good conversation uh over supper about the sovereignty of god very deep very deep topic um and i wanted to give a definition that i learned from a preacher named rod parsley uh, many many years ago, when I, I used to listen to, to his sermons, and uh, I've never forgotten what he said about the sovereignty of God, and he gave this very theological definition when he said, he says in his sermon he says something like this. He said there's a real simple definition on the sovereignty of God, and and this is his exact words that he said about the the definition of the sovereignty of God. He said. God is God, and you ain't. That is the sovereignty of God. God is God, and you ain't. To me, that really sums it up pretty well because we are God's creation. We are God's creation. He created us from the dust of the ground. He created everything around us by speaking everything into existence but when it comes to man and woman he formed us from the ground he took a rib out of man and and made a woman and he breathed life into us we are god's creation he is the potter we are the clay and paul's going to talk about that in chapter 9 and therefore since he is the potter he can he can form the clay into anything that he chooses to. We are the creation. He is the creator. Therefore, he is sovereign. He is God. And we are his creation. You know, as smart as we think we are, and, and we are very smart, man is smart man has come a long ways since genesis chapter two and you know and now we've got this ai this artificial intelligence uh, going on out there you know man is very smart man is very wise but first corinthians chapter one verse 25 and 26 paul says god's foolishness is greater than all of man's wisdom as if god had any foolishness but what paul is saying there is that god's foolishness is greater than all our wisdom in other words as wise as man is and as smart as man is and you look at our technology we're very very smart but all of our wisdom all of our intelligence doesn't even begin to compare with god doesn't even start to compare Because we can't, can't, as human beings in our little brains, as, as good as our brains are and as smart and wise as we are, we cannot even begin to understand God. Listen to what David said in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. He says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You know, I I can look at some, I, I can go to my next door neighbors and have a conversation with them, but I don't know what's in their heart. I can't see their heart. I can only hear what's coming out of their mouth. But God knows their hearts. God knows my heart. I don't know what they're doing next door right now. They may be asleep. They may be sitting over there watching TV. I have no idea, but God does. David says, you know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. I don't know what my neighbors are thinking. I don't know what's going through their mind. But God does. You see, that's the sovereignty of God. We are limited. We are limited because we are the creation. We're not the creator. There's only one creator and the creator is God and he is sovereign. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. David says, you know everything I do. God knows everything that we do. Everything, both bad and good. God knows it all. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. And we see this with Jesus. When he's sitting in this house with these Pharisees and the Pharisees thinking, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he he wouldn't be let if he was the Messiah, he wouldn't be letting this woman wash his feet. This this woman is trash. And Jesus calls that Pharisee out by name aloud in front of all of his friends and says, I do know this woman. She's preparing me for my death because you didn't even bother washing my feet when I come into your house. And therefore, she's doing what you should have done when I come into your house. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Why? Because God is sovereign. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand, David says. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness the darkest of dark. I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How? How could God see David being formed in the darkness of his mother's womb? And how, how could his life be woven together in the dark of the womb? And how did did God record every day of David's life in his book before a single day had passed, before David was ever born and took his first breath? Because God is sovereign. He knows everything from beginning to end. You see, we we, we are, and this is what I was having the conversation with my friend this evening. I told her, I said, we have a point A and we have a point B. We have point A, which is birth. We have a point B, which is death. We can't control point A. We can't control when we were born. And we can't control point B. We don't have any idea when we're, when death is going to come knocking on our door and we're going to take our last breath and our heart is going to beat its last time. It could be one minute from now. It could be 10 minutes from now. It could be 10 years from now or 20 years from now or however long. We have no idea. We have no control. But God, on the other hand, well, let me back up a little bit. Between point A and point B, our birth and our death, we think we have control, but In reality, we we don't have any control. We can't control anything. Now, flip that over to God. God knew what was going on before point A, before we were born. Just like David said, he knew us when we were being woven in our mother's womb. He knew thoughts that we were going to have before we ever had our very first breath. He he had our days written down in his book before we were ever born into this world. Before we caught our first breath of air and cried our first cry and screamed our first screams. Before we ever took our first steps. Before we ever even crawled around on the floor. God had our lives in, written down in his book. He can control point A to point B because he is in control. He knew what was going to happen to us in our lives before point A ever got here. And he knew what is going to go on after our lives, after point B. Why? Because God is sovereign. Sovereign. God is sovereign. We're not so, we are limited. God is outside of time. We are in time. God is outside of time. He sees beginning to end. We can only see what was in the past and what's happening right this very moment in the present. God sees it all. He sees the past, the present, and the future why because god is sovereign you see we, we we can't even begin to understand god because like i said we are limited god is god has no limits he, he is not limited god is omniscient he is all knowing god is omnipotent he is all powerful god is omnipresent he is everywhere we are limited on our knowledge if you think about it, we're we're not very powerful, even though, especially being a man, we like to think we're powerful. You know, if we have a lot of money in the bank, we think we're powerful. If we're a CEO or, or an owner of a company, we think we're powerful, but we're not powerful. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And God is uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere. We can only be in one place at one time. I'm sitting here in this room, making this podcast that's the only place I can be at the at the present time and you know and, I, and it's like one o'clock in the morning I should be in the bed but I'm making this podcast for y'all but when I go to bed I'm gonna be laying in, in in my recliner that I sleep in and that that's where I am I can only be in that recliner I can only be in one place at one time not God God is he, he is omnipresent he is Everywhere, all the time. Why? Because God is sovereign. We have a beginning and an end. God has always been and God will always be. We have a point A and we have a point B. We have no control over either point, point A or point B. And like i said we think we have control in between point a and point b but in reality we don't have any control i mean get sick and you'll understand what i'm saying have back surgeries have a heart attack uh you know have a car wreck whatever we are not in control and we can learn that lesson very quickly and very easily we don't have any idea What's going to happen from one minute to the next? But God, on the other hand, knows exactly what's going to happen long before it ever even happens. And when it does happen, God is not caught off guard. He is not surprised because he already knew what was going to happen. He sees the beginning and the end. And he's in control. Whether we think so or not. God is in control. And this is what Paul is going to explain in chapter 9. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's very deep and it's a very hard subject to cover, but I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. So Paul starts off and he says, "With in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness, my conscience, and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed His glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them His law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping Him and receiving His wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ Himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned, and he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now in these verses, can't you just hear Paul crying out here to the Jews? I mean, that's who's been talking to for the past eight chapters. And so he's crying out to the Jews and you can literally hear his heart being poured out as he's saying, he's crying out that he would swap places with them. If it meant that they would be saved, he would give up his own salvation. He's had a a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary that's ever lived And he's saying, I would give up my place in heaven for you. I would give up the sacrifice that Jesus has made for me. I've accepted that sacrifice. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. But I want you all, my fellow Jewish brethren and my my Jewish sisters, to go to heaven. Therefore, I would give up my citizenship in heaven if it meant that you would be saved and go to heaven. Now I'm not sure I'd be willing to make that statement for anybody. I'm selfish I don't want to go to heaven. I want to be there with God for eternity, but Paul says I'd give it up if it meant that all you Jews, my brothers would be would be saved now <clears throat> he says Israel God's chosen to be um God has chosen the Hebrew people, the Israelites, to be his adopted children who he also used to reveal his glory. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. Um, Everybody else, everybody else is a Gentile. Uh, They didn't have anything, period. They They didn't have anything. Israel, or the Jews, were God's chosen people of the Old Testament. They were the apple of God's eye. His choicest vine, if you will. I mean, that's just the way it is. The Gentiles, they were not. If you were not a Jew, you you were outside of, 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 of God's will. Um, because the covenant was made between Abraham and God. Abraham being the, the, the father of the Jews. God made covenants with the Jews and he gave the Jews his law. Period. God gave the Jews the privilege to worship him and receive his promises. That's what Paul's saying here. Again, the Gentiles were left out. Now, Paul points out that the forefathers of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the ancestors of the Jews. And then he makes he makes it a point that Jesus himself was an Israelite, a Jew. But don't miss what Paul says right after that. Because this is critical. It's very crucial. He says that Jesus himself was an Israelite. But then he turns right around in the very next breath and says, Jesus is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That Jesus, that Jesus, the one who they, as well as us, the Gentiles, the Jews are to put their faith in Jesus. We Gentiles are to put our faith in Jesus. And Paul says, this Jesus, he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. So, the Jews' ancestry, as great as it is and it was, and all those covenants that were made between God and their forefathers, Paul's saying, it's not good enough. It's not going to get you into heaven. It's not going to get you in right standing with God. It's not going to get you in the kingdom. The Jews, as well as us Gentiles, we have to put our faith in the Messiah, Jesus, the one who died for us on the cross, the one who was raised to life again because he is God and he rules over everything. How is that? Because he is sitting at the Father's right hand in the place of authority. And Jesus said himself, all authority has been given to me. So that part in chapter nine, the first part of that chapter, that's fairly easy to understand. It's heavy, but it is what it is. And Paul's been saying to these Jews you got to put your faith in Jesus. And you got to remember these, the, the Jews they, they would think that it was blasphemy to even speak the name of Jesus and so they had trouble doing this and then then you add to the equation that the Gentiles are, are now being welcomed into the church. this is very hard for the Jews because they've had circumcision for hundreds if not thousands of years ever since god made that covenant with abraham in genesis 12 and now jesus has come along and said i know i'm the way into heaven now i'm the way the truth and the life no man come to the father but by me you know you can cut your flesh all you want to but it's a circumcision of the heart that matters you gotta you gotta follow me jesus says you gotta take up your own cross and die to yourself and follow me if you want to get into heaven so the next part is where it starts to get deep and that's verses 6 through 13 so buckle up and let's go paul says well then has god failed to fulfill his promise to israel no for not all who are born into the nation of israel are truly members of god's people Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. He's going to explain what he means by that. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are to be considered Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. The son was our ancestor, Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. I'm going to stop right there just for a second. got to remember, Sarah laughed. That's what Isaac, the name Isaac means, the one who laughed, he who laughs. When the angel told uh. Sarah that she's going to have a child in her old age she laughed she did not believe God Abraham did the same thing he did not believe God so time passes Sarah decides she's gonna help God out and she's gonna let Abraham sleep with Hagar one of her maidservants and Ishmael is born Ishmael was not the son of promise And this is gonna be a problem and it still is a problem even to this day but the son of promise is Isaac and Isaac was born later on after Ishmael just like God said that he would be born he he is the son of promise because Sarah has never had children she was past the 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 child uh, rearing age childbearing age and yet she has a baby and they named him Isaac the one who laughs he who laughs and he is the son of promise so and that, that's what Paul is saying here in verse 10 this son the son of promise was our ancestor Isaac and he's talking to these Jews right at the church at Rome when he married Rebecca Isaac married Rebecca she gave birth to twins But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And Paul says this, this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Because these two children, we're going to explain, we'll talk about this, uh, Jacob and Esau's birth here in just a second. But this shows the sovereignty of God, that God comes to Rebekah before Jacob and Esau are born, and God tells them tells Rebekah a message before these two boys were born, before they had done anything good or before they had done anything bad. She was told, your older son will serve the younger son. And in the words of the scriptures, Paul, uh, Paul, Paul repeats what God says. I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now that sounds harsh. That sounds really mean. And there's a lot of people who read the Old Testament and they won't have anything to do with God because of the way he was in the Old Testament. They just just reject God. Um, And that's a sad thing to do because The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And so I'm going to dig in just a little bit about the the birth of Jacob and Esau. And it can be found in Genesis 25. And I encourage you to go back and read that in Genesis 25. Because these two babies that were still in their mother's womb, they're fighting one another inside rebecca's womb and and when they were born esau is going to come out first but jacob reaches up as a baby and grabs esau's heel and just holds on and i guess they're just pulled out together And, and so uh jacob Uh, holding on to Esau's heel would come out. And and, and so Rebecca's like, well, I do have twins. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, The name Esau means hairy because Esau was very hairy. Jacob, the name Jacob means deceiver. And that's exactly what Jacob was. He was a deceiver. He deceived his brother out of his birthright and he deceived his dad into receiving the promises, or everything that belonged to the firstborn. Jacob was not the firstborn; Esau was. But Jacob tricks uh, Isaac, who is in bed dying. He's old and he's blind, and he puts hair, uh, these animal skins, on his arms, so that when Jacob or when Isaac feels Jacob's arms, he feels the hair, and he thinks, "Oh, well, this is." He's because Jacob or Isaac even says. The voice is Jacob, but he feels like, and the smell is Esau because Esau is a hunter and he dealt with a lot of animals. And so the smell, it just tricked Jacob. He couldn't see. He was old and blind and he was on his deathbed. And he ends up blessing Jacob and giving Jacob the blessings that belongs to the firstborn. And from that point on, Jacob and Esau, they're, they're just at war with one another And as we're going to see in just a second, God had told Rebekah that there's going to be two nations coming from these two two babies, Jacob and Esau. And just to break it down very simply, Esau becomes the Edomites. The Edomites fight with Israel's enemies to try to destroy the Israelites. The Israelites come from Jacob. Jacob's name is eventually changed to Israel. And the Israelites come through his lineage. And the Israelites are striving to do God's will. The Edomites were fighting against God's will. And so it happens just like God predicted to Rebekah before they were ever even born. He says, there's two nations inside your belly and they're going to hate each other. They're going to war against each other. And that's exactly what happens. How did God know that? Because God is sovereign. You know, it, Rebecca didn't even know. Even though God said you're going to have twins, she didn't believe God. And, and we'll, we'll read it here in just a minute. But she freaks out when she has two babies. She says, oh, look, I do have twins. Oh, huh, imagine that. Well, probably because God said you were going to have twins because he's, he's sovereign. He's showing his sovereignty here. Um, why would God say that he loved Jacob and hated Esau? Because that just, to us, it sounds, you know, God is love. So why would God say he, he hates Esau? Did he actually hate Esau? And that's the question I want to answer just for a few minutes. And to do that, uh, I looked up uh, on gotquestions.org uh, dot to see what it has to say because these, this, the people who do this, they're pretty accurate. They're pretty spot on. Um, because if you think about it, Jacob, his name means deceiver. So why would it, it, why would God say I love Jacob, the deceiver, but I hate Esau? It makes no sense. Um, and here's what uh, gotquestions.org says about this. When studying the Bible, it's critically important to always study the context of a particular Bible verse or, or, or passage. you got to keep it in context, is what they're saying. In these instances, the prophet Malachi and the apostle Paul are using the name Esau to refer to the Edomites, who were the descendants of Esau. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Esau and Jacob. God chose Jacob whom he later renamed Israel to be the father of his chosen people, the Israelites. God rejected Esau, who was also called Edom, and did not choose him to be the father of his chosen people. Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, were in many ways blessed by God. And you can read about that in Genesis 33 and Genesis 36. Um, So considering the context, God loving Jacob and hating Esau has nothing to do with the human emotions of love and hate like we think it does. It has everything to do with God choosing one man and his descendants and rejecting another man and his descendants. God chose Abraham out of all the men in the world. The Bible this is coming from uh godquestions.org So God chooses Abraham out of all the men in the world, right? To establish his covenant with. So the Bible very well could say, Abraham I loved and every other man I hated. God chose Abraham's son Isaac instead of Abraham's son Ishmael. The Bible very well could say, Isaac I loved and Ishmael I hated. Romans chapter 9 makes it abundantly clear that loving Jacob and hating Esau was entirely related to which of them God chose Hundreds of years after Jacob and Esau had died, the Israelites and Edomites became bitter enemies. The Edomites often aided Israel's enemies in attacks on Israel. Esau's descendants brought God's curse upon themselves in Genesis 27:29 tells Israel, <clears throat> "May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed." <clears throat> I'm trying to lose my voice here. The key verses are verses 11 and 12, which says, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, Paul says, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works, because she was told, your older son will serve the younger son. Before Esau and Jacob were ever born, God knew what was going to happen in the future because he knows everything before it ever happens. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He makes the comment to Rebekah that the older will serve the younger. God knew that he was going to use Jacob to bring his people, the Israelites, into prominence. That the Messiah would literally come through that lineage. He will change Jacob's name to Israel. And so now we have the Israelites. Esau's descendants were the Edomites. The Edomites, like I've already said, have helped Israel's enemies. Now, listen to what God told Rebekah in Genesis 25, 21 through 24. It says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. So it's like Rebecca's like, oh, I didn't even know I was going to have twins. Yeah, you did because God told you, because God is sovereign. He knows everything before it ever happens, and he told you that you were going to have twins. And it's like she's just shocked that she had twins, and she couldn't even get pregnant, right? And when she, when, when she did discover that she was pregnant, that God had answered Isaac's prayer for her to have a baby, God knew exactly what was going to happen. Rebecca had no idea. She didn't have any idea that she's having twins, even though God said, you're going to have twins. She's shocked that she had twins when they're born. But God told her that there's two nations inside your stomach and they're going to be at war with one another. One's going to be stronger than the other. One's going to serve the other. This is the sovereignty of God right here in her belly. And this great example that Paul gives. God knew beforehand what was going to happen between these two boys And Rebecca didn't even have an idea, an inkling that she was even having twins. God saw everything before it happened, and Rebecca could only see it as it happened. God knew everything that was going to happen way on down the road before uh, Rebecca became pregnant. When Isaac was saying a prayer and asking God to bless her with children or a child god knew exactly what was going to happen he warned rebecca this is going to happen and then rebecca could only see what was happening at the moment she can only see the two twins fighting in her belly and she's like what is going on and then she has the twins she's like oh i do have twins look i got two two boys here so she can only see things as it was happening god saw it all before it ever even happened why because god is sovereign Man is not. We are limited. We have no control over nothing. God controls everything because God is sovereign. We, he is the creator. We are the creation. <clears throat> God knew beforehand what was going to happen between these two boys when Rebecca had no idea that she was having two boys. God saw everything before it happened, and Rebecca could only see it as it happened. God didn't love Jacob and hate Esau as in how we think about love and hate. He knew that Esau's descendants were going to stand in the way of his will. And this is the key point right here. God knew before those two boys were ever even formed in Rebekah's womb. God knew that Esau's descendants were one day going to stand in the way of his will. But he also knew that God, uh, God also knew that Jacob's descendants would want to follow him and strive to do his will and usher in the Messiah. I want to share a couple more verses from Romans chapter 9. We're going to end the podcast. And we'll pick up with it in the next podcast and go a little bit deeper. But Paul says in verses 14 through 16, he says, are we saying then that God was unfair of course not. for God said to Moses, "I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion on anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. <clears throat> now, isn't this a question that we we all ask at one time or another? don't we <laughs> something happens in our life and we one of the first things we say is not it's not right. this is not fair. Is God being fair? Is God being unfair? What's going on, God? We say stuff like this all the time. And that's what Paul says here. Are we saying then that God is unfair? Of course not. Because God can choose who he's going to show mercy to or show compassion to. And unbelievers just jump all over this. They jump all over the God of the Old Testament who just seems like he was merciless because he was just killing people left and right but God had a plan he had a purpose and that purpose was to usher in the Messiah into the world and if people stood in his way then they paid the price (laughs) I mean that's just the way it was and it's still the, the same way today if we choose to stand in the way of God there's gonna be a price that comes along with that choice but, but the thing is we have a choice um, and we'll talk more about that in the next podcast and that's what you know a lot of people don't understand about the sovereignty of God and and, and, and putting that against the free will of man you know how do we match those mesh those two together God is sovereign but yet man has a free will and we'll talk more about that in the next podcast um, but going back to what, Um, Paul is saying here in verses 14 through 16. um, People just don't understand the sovereignty of God. And I don't even pretend to begin to understand it myself. I'm just trying to explain it the best that I can. And I'm going to go back to that definition that Rod Parsley gave many years ago when he said the sovereignty of God means that God is God and you ain't. God is God and I'm not. God has a plan and that plan was made by God a long time ago, long before he ever created the first thing in Genesis chapter 1, long before he ever spoke anything into existence. God knew that man was going to blow it and God had a plan to redeem it. He was going to fix man's mistake and he worked that plan to perfection. And we can see that plan woven all through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And God is and God will continue to fulfill His plan. And here's the thing. You're either on board with God's plan or you're against God's plan. You're on the winning team or you're on the losing team. And this is going to be Paul's point by the time we get through the end of chapter 9. Because he's saying that Jewish ancestry that you have It's not going to cut it. You have to put your faith in the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not washing the blood of Jesus. You're not a part of the winning team. You are against the will of God, and that is not a good place to be. Just ask the Edomites. And and. Paul says in Romans 5, and we've already covered this, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So if you've never been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are an enemy to God. But guess what? He still loves you. He still died for you. He still shed his blood for you. And you have a choice to make to either be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ or to continue to reject the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. The sovereignty of God the sovereignty of God ushered in Jesus to die in your place, in my place, to wash our sins away. The free will of man says, I have a choice. I can choose to reject Jesus or I can choose to accept Jesus. What's that choice that you're going to make? If you have accepted Jesus Christ and you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, then I I just want to challenge you to get out there and tell people about Jesus and what he's done for you in your life and the hope that he can give those that you know that are lost and never given their life to Jesus Christ. Give them that opportunity that you have. God bless you. Thank you for listening today and we'll pick up with the sovereignty of God in the rest of chapter 9 in the next podcast. Keep grinding. Thanks for listening to The Grinded Podcast. If we could pray for you or encourage you in any way, please email us at thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com or you can text us at 865-418-2824. If you're watching on YouTube, please click like and subscribe and you'll be notified about new episodes. If you're listening on an app, leave us a five-star review, but most importantly, share The Grinded Podcast with a friend. God bless you and remember, keep grinding.